Welcome to the Voices in Recovery podcast. Voices in Recovery is produced by Freedom's Path Recovery Society, a registered Canadian charity. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider a donation to Freedom's Path Recovery Society. All donations go directly to assisting Freedom's Path in providing their services free of charge and helps us keep the podcast going. We are grateful for any and all donations. This podcast discusses difficult topics such as childhood abuse, drug and alcohol use, sexuality and sexualized trauma, and more. If you are under the age of 18, please speak with your legal guardian prior to listening. The opinions expressed during the podcast are those of the individual and not those of Voices in Recovery or Freedom's Path or any other organization. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy this podcast. This podcast is being recorded on the traditional land of the Blackfoot Confederacy. This consists of the Kainai, Pekani, Siksika, and the Blackfeet in the U.S. We acknowledge the Stony Nakoda, which consists of the Bearspaw, Morley, and Chiniki. We acknowledge the Satina, Hura Dene, and the Métis, Inuit, status and non-status from all of Turtle Island, and those who are visiting. We are all treaty people. Bethany, thank you for coming on today. Yeah, thanks um, for having me. Oh, it's our, it's our pleasure. Honestly, I, I have listened to you like for a few years, and every time I listen, it's very, you're very reasonable. And I, Don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to like build you up like you're perfect or nothing like that, because that's unfair to do that to people. But um, yeah, you know, it's, I don't know you at all. And so it was like, oh man, that would be awesome, right? Yeah, yeah. thank you for coming in. Thank you. You're yeah. welcome. Take it away. Oh my gosh, I don't even know where to start, I guess. Yeah, thank you for having me. This is, it's an honor to get to share my story. It wasn't that long ago that nobody really cared what I had to say. <laughs> Took me very seriously. That's uh, fair. Yeah, right? Um, but yeah, I guess I'll just talk a little bit about where I came from, what it was like, and I guess how I stick around now and why I stick around now. So I grew up in BC. I'm originally from Kelowna. I've been in Calgary now. I think something like four years, okay. three or four years. Um, most of my childhood is a blur. I don't really remember much. Mm. That kind of speaks to it, I think, in itself. Like, yeah, that's lots just, of trauma. Or... Yeah, lots yeah. of trauma. And lot just uh, that, and that really fed, I think, into addiction later on and into maybe not even addiction, but that self-hatred because... Mm. All I remember is just being a bad kid and just being in trouble all the time mm-hmm. with no kind of clarity of what my life was really like because I don't remember. And so there wasn't a lot of role models or people mm-hmm. like that around for me. And I just remember always having that feeling of just not fitting in, not belonging, that emptiness inside, which later on I learned is that spiritual void. Mm-hmm but that just complete darkness that I was always trying to fill with something. And for me, I am really, really attached and really, really aware of the fact that this disease lives in my brain and I'm just looking for anything as a solution to deal with that, the disease of addiction. So drugs were a solution or a symptom to me. And long before I picked up drugs or alcohol or anything else, it was anything to find escape or to find reward or relief or to get that hit or whatever it was. So relationships, you know, candy when I was a kid, you know, what's moderation? I don't understand that word. Um, Shopping, that one still pops up. If I'm not taking care of this spiritual disease, I will definitely default that way. It's just the disease of more. 
and just the disease of trying to fill that hole that's inside of me. Mm. Yeah, very much. And all the things that you did to try to fill it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Anything. Like I just, and I can use positive things for that. Mm -hmm. If I'm not in a spiritual mindset and I'm living in the, in my, in my brain and I'm Mm. back in crazy brain, I'll use healthy things like I'll meditate I'll pray I'll do all this stuff to try and escape or to stay over busy so that I don't have to deal with what's going on and I remember when somebody told me one of my um the people that I look up to in the spiritual world was talking to me about it and she's like hold on I'm "I'm doing all the right things I'm meditating I'm praying I'm doing what I need to do and you're not supposed to meditate and pray to escape and it just was this like mind-blowing moment of what yeah it's a wild recognition though Yeah, like those are tools to help me sit through feelings, to help me walk through situations, to help me learn how to navigate. They are not about escaping. Mm -hmm. Funny, there is no escape. The only way out is through. (laughs) Yeah, you tell that to an active user though. Oh my gosh, yeah. No, I'm going to look for every other way still. Still, there's got to be another way. There's got to be an easier way. Yeah. And I spent a long time trying to find that. Mm-hmm. And I still do. Because I, ju- I believe that my disease, it doesn't go away. It goes into remission. Mm-hmm. And I may not relapse on, on drinking or drugs today, thank goodness. Mm-hmm. But I relapse on rage or on emotions or on shopping or whatever. And then I get to go, holy shit, what's going on in my world? I need to step back yeah. and start to look at things. And it kind of gives me that pause so that I can come back to recovery brain. So right on. Yeah. Well, that pause is like instrumental, Yeah. you know, and I think the, the misconception of meditation from most people who've never done it is that it's to avoid. Um, and so those of us who like used it in our cycle, like our addictive cycle, I mean, I would have done the same thing. Yeah. I would have been like, yeah, well, I'm just meditating. I'm taking care of my spirit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or, or I would go the complete opposite way because if it's meant to avoid and it's meant to do all, my brain should shut off. I shouldn't be thinking I'm not doing mm. this right. I, I hate this. I'm sitting with feelings and I don't like it. Yeah. And it's, well, the point of meditation is a practice where it slows them down. Mm-hmm. So I'm never going to not think I'm never going to have a completely quiet brain. Mm-hmm. That's just not attainable. But what's going to happen is the longer I sit in meditation or the more that I practice it, then I'm going to get more space. I call it that in between. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get longer lengths of time in that quiet space. Mm-hmm. And then when the thought comes in, because it will, instead of getting attached to it and chasing it down the road like a dog, mm-hmm. um, I'm going to be able to step back and be like, oh, okay, well, there it goes again. Or, mm-hmm. hey, there's that crazy thought again. She's still in there, but I yeah. can be detached from it instead of identifying it as my complete and total being. Mm-hmm. So. And that, that practice is imperative, right? Yeah. Like, I think so. Like, however someone practices to get into that state is is their business, but, like, um, getting into that ability to see your thoughts as not you, right? Like, to recognize that our thoughts aren't us. They don't make us who we are. They are just a part of a brain that's constantly thinking, right? Like, I can't remember the number of thoughts that the brain actually has in a minute, but it's astounding. Like, it's astounding. It's like 10,000 thoughts or something. Yeah. But we only attach to the ones that we're attached to, right? And so then sometimes we think that the thought means something to us, therefore it must be more important. Right. Right? But it isn't. Well, and then with this, as an addict, my brain is broken. Mm -hmm. So those thoughts that I choose... 
those are great ones for my disease to just be like, oh, see? Yeah. And start to create that shame mm -hmm. because that's like, as an addict, I have this internal shame generator. My brain is always trying to stockpile shame because if it can get enough shame, then I will try and escape. I will use. So it's going to do anything mm -hmm. to tell me that I'm a piece of shit and that those thoughts are me, that mm -hmm. that is me. And I always like the, the analogy that those thoughts and, and those voices in my head, that's the annoying roommate up there. And mm -hmm. if I can step back and, and just kind of laugh about it and step mm -hmm. back. I had a, a friend that owns a treatment center back home in Kelowna. And he always, he told me that he will literally, so when, when crazy starts to come knocking in his brain again, he'll he'll catch it and be like, cuckoo, and say it out loud yep. because then that actually triggers the brain to, to step mm -hmm. back. And it sounds so strange, but it works. Mm -hmm. And then early on in recovery, somebody told me to give my, give my disease a name. Mm -hmm. So I call her Tina. Yeah. And so it's like, oh, there's Tina again. That crazy bitch is trying to convince me this. I like She's it. still there. Tina, my trashy roommate. Right? <laughs> yeah. That's pretty good. I like She's it. She's full of shit. Yeah. And then I can kind of <laughs> laugh about it because my, everything in me has always wanted to do the opposite. It's wanted mm -hmm. to shame it. It's wanted to get, wanted to get attached to that. It wants to, you know, tell me that I obviously haven't grown at all mm -hmm. when those thoughts come in. So, and I take yeah. it so seriously. And so if I can just kind of be able mm -hmm. to have those moments where I can just laugh about it yeah. and see it as, oh my gosh, that shit is crazy. Mm -hmm. And it's funny that you say it because I think most of us feel that way when we come in, right? Like we're all of a sudden hearing this voice in our head so clearly, right? Because we're not numb for a bit. And then all of a sudden the voice comes back and, most people run back to avoidance, right? Because it's easier. Uh, and yeah. unless we have practices that we can rely on. And even then, don't get me wrong, like practicing all day long every day, we'll, you'll, still, you'll still have negative feelings. But again, it goes back to what you said. It's not about avoidance. It's about leaning into it, yeah. right? And yeah. yeah, having the courage to lean into it and say, yeah, you know what? I did that thing. I did that thing, but it's over. Like there's absolutely nothing about that thing that needs to exist today, you know, because nothing really does. Yeah. You know, having that choice and recognizing that growth is painful. Mm -hmm. I just, I get that like feeling in my stomach sometimes now where people are like, Oh, this is such a huge growing opportunity. I'm like, fuck. Yeah. This is going to hurt. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you're like, you're right, but that sucks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause it, growth is painful and mm -hmm. I'm a pain driven creature. I don't move unless it hurts. Yeah. So it's got to hurt bad enough to kick me in the butt. And then I start moving mm -hmm. again and, and growth. It literally, I have to break through my comfort zone. It's an experience of, I always think of the butter, the caterpillar and the butterfly. Mm -hmm. Like in order to become that butterfly, I have to push through a cocoon. Like that mm -hmm. is painful yeah. and awkward and uncomfortable. And if I don't move in the exact right timing, it's going to kill me. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's kind of yeah. neat how it all works. And the analogy is good, right? The butterfly. Yeah. Because, man, we're definitely coming from a caterpillar state. Right? Oh, yeah. 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 And, yeah, so. so sorry, I, I interrupted you. So back to your story. I know. Now I'm like, where was I? I don't even know. <laughs> four years ago. Yeah. So I moved out here four years ago, but long before that, mm -hmm. I was the queen of geographical changes. Oh, okay. You know, that was my, my go-to. So even before I had really started to drink or use. Mm -hmm. I was already running from myself, uh, switching schools all the time, 
which used to make my parents very angry because mm-hmm. I just didn't get it. And I was just always trying to outrun myself and just was never comfortable anywhere. And the truth is, is it had everything to do with the masks. I could only wear a mask for so long before mm-hmm. it fell off. And then who I thought I truly was came out and I blew shit up and I needed to run again and yeah. start over. And if I can just start over here, it's going to be different this time. And so I was always running. And, and then I found alcohol probably grade seven. Mm-hmm. And it was just that immediate freedom, the immediate feeling that I belong. I can talk to people now. People will like me. I can relate. Because I was always really awkward. I didn't know how to talk to people, especially males. Like, Mm -hmm. I just could not. I was just paralyzed. So uncomfortable. Never felt like I fit in. And all of a sudden, you give me this liquid courage. Mm -hmm. And I just remember that the losses for me started right away. Within like a week, my best friend was like, you're a little out of control and stopped being around. Really? Like, what? Wow. You're drunk too. Like, we're just Mm -hmm. getting drunk for this high school dance. Like, what what the heck? But it just started right away. So that problem, people could identify right away. Even though for me, and this is true for my entire story, until I made it into the rooms Mm -hmm. of recovery, I had no idea that alcohol or drugs or any of that was my problem. Mm -hmm. I just thought that I was born bad, that I was crazy, that if I got my relationship stuff under control, Mm -hmm. if I got anxiety under control, whatever it was, that it was just me, that I was just defective. And I 100% believe that. It never would have occurred to me Mm -hmm. that I had a problem with drinking. And so I carried on for all of high school and whatever, switched schools a bunch more, Mm -hmm. dropped out, I think, in grade 10 for a while and took off to Alberta for the first time, Mm -hmm. went to Edmonton and thought I could outrun myself there for a while. And, um, And then I just always found myself hanging out with people or putting myself in situations that just didn't align with me. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's the truth for most of us as Very addicts. So. We're trying to put ourselves in places and then wonder why we don't fit in or wonder why we're drinking or wonder why we're uncomfortable mm-hmm. because I don't belong here. Yeah. This doesn't align with who I am. And so then I'm just getting wasted and it's feeding the shame because mm-hmm. now like it's just that vicious shame cycle and, and I need to be wasted to try and mm-hmm. ignore that. And outrun it. Sure it. Yeah. Yeah. So it just carried on and made it back to Kelowna when that bottomed out. Remember, I got my mom and she came and picked me up and I made it back. And my final geographical change took me out to Saskatchewan. And I always tell this story because it's so ridiculous. And I remember being so ashamed and thinking this just identified who I was so much. Mm-hmm. But I took off to a small town in Saskatchewan. A friend of mine's mom from high school lived out there and I'd blown my life up really bad again. And um, of course it was not because of alcohol or anything like that. Cause no. I clearly did not have a problem with that. So I took off out to Saskatchewan thinking that I could just be a big, big deal in a small town mm-hmm. like, that nobody will know me and I'll move there and everyone will love me and I'll be a big deal there. That's a wonderful thought. Right? Like the (laughs) ego behind that and underneath the ego, the complete insecurity and self-hate that I had. But a rich fantasy life you had too. Right? Like, And and everything was just about outrunning and building the armor. Mm -hmm. Everything was about what I looked like on the outside and what I could build so that you didn't see me. Mm -hmm. And that mask that I talked about from the get-go. Like, if I can just put this image on, people will just love me and Mm -hmm. just, God forbid, they see what's underneath that because that was ugly. 
And so I moved out to this little town and yeah, it was all good for a little while. Funny thing in a tiny little town in Saskatchewan, most people my age at that time are not still hanging around a small town in Saskatchewan. They've moved on to university or to do things with their life. And the people that are left there end up being the drunks and the alcoholics at the bar who mm -hmm. became my only friends. And that <laughs> happened really quick. Yeah. And so I ended up getting a job in the city and I was traveling back and forth and I got into a wicked car accident mm -hmm. and I shouldn't have made it. And I think that was my first kind of taste of, Ooh, like maybe the universe has a plan yeah. for me. Were maybe. you drinking when you're driving? Yeah. 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 And I had never, nobody really, I managed to kind of skate by without anybody really identifying how wasted mm -hmm. I was. Um, People don't understand that happens a lot more often than they think though. Yeah. Whereas some people are so accustomed to being drunk that they don't portray being drunk. Like, yeah. And unless you do the breathalyzer and all the testing, you might never know. Yeah. 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 And I, I was just, you know, having another one of my typical nights, like I always said that it was Russian roulette with me, right? Like I may not have drank all the time and I may have been fine some of the time, but you mm -hmm. just never knew what was going to happen. And yeah. sometimes you were going to get that crazy, hysterical, crying, screaming girl and Tina running down the street. <laughs> right. Ah! Yep. And that was her. And so, mm -hmm. you know, I'm not, I wasn't drunk. I was just really, really upset and mm -hmm. you know, and <laughs> hid behind that. Cause so-and-so hurt me so bad. Right. Yeah. Or such yeah. and such hurt me. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I, I, well, very much rolled off my car. I shouldn't have made it out of that accident at all. And it kind of shook me again, not because of the drinking, because mm -hmm. that wasn't it, but because I was, I felt like I was going nowhere and maybe I, maybe I need to change things up mm -hmm. for a bit. So I moved into the city and I started wor working with youth and I stopped drinking just cold turkey mm -hmm. for a period of time. And so, yeah, so I got a job working with youth in the city and that felt good because I felt like I had purpose, but also untreated addiction mm. running wild. And that's where I can really attach and identify to the fact that this disease lives in my brain. You take away my solution, you take away drugs, you take away whatever. I am left with this void and this self-hatred and this chaos mm. that is absolute misery. Misery. And for me, that scares me so much worse than picking up drugs or picking up alcohol. Like going to that place of complete bankruptcy and just despair. Like absolute demoralization. Oh, it's awful. And then not knowing that I have a problem or that there's something, like just thinking that that's who I am and that's what life's going to be like for the rest of my life. And, and so that carried on for a while. I think in the course of the next year, I probably only really drank or, or used smoke pot, whatever, a handful of times, mm -hmm. but each time was so horrific. I definitely picked right back up where I left off mm -hmm. and the shame behind those, those episodes were absolutely crippling. Yeah. And the only reason I kind of stopped cold, my, my clean date is, uh, is new year's day of I think 2012 or 2013, okay, right on. but yeah. it was another crazy Tina episode, mm -hmm. crying, screaming, relationship thing, whatever. And I stopped because again, not, I don't even know, not the drinking, but to maybe try and get the relationship under control and to prove that I, mm -hmm. everything would be okay. And, um, I got a job working up North after that. I went to, I put myself through school and I was working two weeks on and two weeks off and I wasn't drinking and I met, uh, I got into a new relationship and he didn't, he is an addict as well and he was in recovery and it was just kind of assumed on his part that because I wasn't drinking that I was also in recovery and I was an addict, which mm -hmm. I, clearly 
not. But we'll just fair let you think that. Yeah. Like, yeah. okay, whatever, whatever, that. that's fine. <laughs> I appreciate the lying through omission. I do. I really appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> the liar in me likes it. <laughs> right? Like, just whatever. You can think whatever. Yeah. I'll just not use and drink to appease mm-hmm. you because I don't want to listen to your whining kind of yeah. thing. And that's how it went. Like, that was genuinely it. Like, I didn't want to listen to the shame or the or the guilt that, that he kind of throw my way mm-hmm. if I if I were to pick up. So, all right. And that was absolute chaos like that is probably the, the the time frame that I can identify as the, the most insane and I and I mean from my part a hundred percent like addicts that are not in recovery holy like mm-hmm. nothing is more terrifying I think well it's like a crazy person without medication right yeah like, and that's why honestly that's why lots of people just think we're insane well and a hundred percent I mm-hmm. um, I identify with the the addiction as a primary chronic disease mm-hmm. and so I have to treat addiction first and foremost, and some of those other things might fall fall away, some of them might not. Yeah. But if I am in my active addiction, I could look like I'm schizophrenic, a narcissist, mm-hmm. a, a psychopath, you name it, anxiety, depression, codependency, all of that yeah. can be called different things, but it's addiction. Oh, and it's, it's wrapped up in that, like, you know, the thing we fight against, the old ideas, but it's all wrapped up in there, the old ideas of who we are. 100%. Hence why it takes us so long, right? Because yeah. I don't know about you, but I, I thought I was going to die drunk. Like yeah. I did. I thought for sure that was how I was meant to die. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, that's, it's wild. It's just, and it's scary, and it's just thinking that you're crazy and mm-hmm. thinking like I have a, my dad is is pretty sick. He uh, mm-hmm. deals with some mental illness and oh. my sister also. Yeah. And I always think of them in that reading in, in the rooms, those mm-hmm. that do not recover the, are those who cannot and will not get honest. Mm-hmm. And there are two people that come to my mind and that's mm-hmm. terrifying. But because of that, that's what I thought I was doomed to. And mm-hmm. there was this deep seated fear that that's what I was going to be like. Yeah. And that's who I was. And that still pops up for me when, mm-hmm. when I'm not treating this disease and those behaviors come up because they do. Mm-hmm. It's an emotional relapse and suddenly I'm in it and I'm like, see, Tina starts telling me again yeah. that, see, you're exactly like your your parent or your dad and you're exactly like them and you're going to be sick and you're messed up and there's no hope for you because that's what it wants me to believe. Mm-hmm. But really, it's addiction, right? It's it's addiction force, first and foremost. And when mm-hmm. I treat that, that, that stuff falls away. And so being in that relationship managed to keep me together. I don't want to mm-hmm. say... I'll say... We'll say dry, because yep. I definitely didn't have anything else That's fair. for that period. It was because it was fourteen months dry before I made it into the rooms. Yeah. And what ended up happening is I ended up pregnant and terrified. And I made a decision right away that I was absolutely not doing this in that relationship and that I was leaving. Uh, he reminded me a lot of my dad. And so I was like, I'm out. And I called my mom and was like, I need you to come get me. I'm, I'm moving home. And by this point, I'd made it into the rooms of Codependence Anonymous and a few things like that because, again, I'm just crazy and mm-hmm. it's just the relationship stuff and, and whatever. And the funny thing is, and I, I shared this yesterday because I was sharing my story yesterday, and I, the, I, it's been a long time since I thought about this, but I remember being in Codependence Anonymous and looking around and being like, I don't want any of these people to, like, oh, you're supposed to get a sponsor? Like, mm-hmm. I don't want any of this. Like, 
it felt like every nobody was strong enough to deal. Yeah. Like, I need a strong personality. <laughs> I need someone that's going to call me on my shit. Yeah. And I don't think that's going to come from here. I can appreciate that. I've been to some CODA meetings through the years. And honestly, I, I understand that. I appreciate it. Yeah. yeah. But there was this one gentleman and he was so irritating and so loud. And yeah. so like, and I love him now. Like, I love it. And have the that's respect. how we find people that help us, man. Yeah. We find the people that are annoying and loud. And we're like, that person bothers me. How are you? Right? <laughs> yeah. Well, what ha- Well, yeah. I knew he was married and someone said his wife was in Al-Anon. Mm. And I was like, that's who I need. If yeah. she can deal with him, then I- she'll call me on my shit. Yeah. Now, somebody as an addict having an Al-Anon sponsor, <laughs> talk about shame when you come mm. to a step four and you're like, holy crap. That's maybe, a perspective. Yeah. Maybe I don't belong here. Like the level. Mm. And I, so I, I, I had moved back to Kelowna at this point and she was in Saskatchewan. I remember doing a little bit of a step four over the phone with her. And, um, never speaking to her again after that. Never. I don't think I finished that step four. It was like, whoa, that was horrible. Mm -hmm. And just the demoralization and the, Mm -hmm. but from that, it kind of was like, huh, looking at that and all the, well, when I was wasted, when I was drunk, when I was messed up, Mm -hmm. okay, well, maybe I should check out AA. And I still don't know how it happened because I didn't, I didn't really believe that that's where I, it's not that I didn't believe I belong there. I just didn't understand the disease. Mm-hmm. So I didn't understand because I could put down and I hadn't drank in, yeah. in a, in 14 months. Cause you were still dealing with the symptoms. Yeah. So, yeah. I had no yeah. idea. I didn't understand how the brain, like how mm-hmm. the obsess obsession and the allergy, all that stuff worked. I had no idea. Yeah. But for some of us, it takes longer. Yeah. We're just that damaged, right? Yeah. You come in with, um, especially if you spend a good deal of time going after your symptoms, trying to treat them, right? Yeah. Like relationships, work, whatever it was, geogra- geography, that kind of stuff. It's amazing how that can just make it all, all the more important to get it. And oftentimes people get it right away is my point, right? Yeah. Because they just know ready. what's going on ready. Yeah. or it's taking them to their knees, right? Yeah. There's no, you know, you're drinking, you're using every single day, you're mm-hmm. homeless, you're whatever. I, despite the fact that I look back now and I can see where some of that stuff was just mm-hmm. divine intervention that I didn't end up in those places. It caused it. Ma- it made it harder. That's why they talk about the hopeless cases, right? Mm-hmm. It's so much easier to treat the hopeless cases where they've yeah. already hit that absolutely. Like, there's no denying it, mm-hmm. because in the beginning, you're, it's still working for me. Yeah. I'm still having fun, or the consequences aren't that bad yet, or I can still put down for periods mm-hmm. of time, so yeah. I could hide in all of the other stuff and not recognize what was wrong. Mm-hmm. Especially if we stay out of AA. Yeah. Because we go to AA, we start hearing all our stories and we're like, oh shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then so, once you walk through the door, you're like, yeah. okay, yeah, now the seed is planted and there's no unknowing what I know. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I walked through the doors of AA was where I landed when I got back to Kelowna. I think I was about four months pregnant. And all I knew was that I was scared shitless because I didn't, I didn't think I, like, I didn't think I ever wanted to be a mom. And I mm-hmm. thought I was so knowledgeable and be, because I know who I am and I, that's just not what I want. And the mm-hmm. truth was I was terrified because I hated myself. And if I had a kid, that kid was going to see me and they were going to know me mm-hmm. and they were going to hate me too. And there was no hiding. Mm-hmm. And that scared me worse than anything. No doubt. And on top of that, you're pregnant. Like being pregnant as a human messes shit up. Like yeah. hormones, like I can't imagine. Cause how old were you? Twenty-seven, I think, by that I point. I was a child still at twenty-seven. Yeah. yeah. Oh, for sure. I'm forty-seven. I'm still kind of a child. So. Yeah. 
I don't know that, like, does that go away? I don't know, but I would have been terrified. I was terrified every time there was a, a child involved, right? Because it was just yeah. terrifying. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was, it was scary. It was a lot. And, and a part, a thread through my story, like ongoing is that from that car accident, I deal with chronic pain and, mm -hmm. and concussion syndrome and PTSD. So messes with the brain and messes with the body and pregnancy. Mm -hmm. But like I got flown off site from work at three months pregnant, not even, and I couldn't work again. And I've never been able to work full, full time ever since. Really? Just okay. due to all of the, yeah the pain and the stuff like that. So weaving all of that in there. With... Can I ask you what your chronic pain is, if you don't mind? Yeah. Not that um, I, you need to like explain it to me, but I too have chronic pain. So yeah, yeah. Curious. So I deal with um, obviously all the soft tissue damage. Yeah. And then I deal with, so I had hip surgery. Mm -hmm. I tore the labrum in there and they think that I over stretch the front of my hip. Okay, uh, what do they call that? Hyperextension. Hyperextension, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. I have had shoulder surgery. I tore mm -hmm. the tendon in my shoulder. And then I deal with the low back and the neck and all of that stuff. Yeah, okay. so. so the whiplash stuff. Yeah. Neck and head. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, so. I'm sorry to hear that, but you're obviously adept at it now. So. Just, yeah, it's just something I deal with. Mm -hmm. Some days are better than others. And yeah, we've, we've got an ongoing, <laughs> like I've got shoulder surgery possibly coming up again. Okay. And um, because of the way Saskatchewan works, I've got an ongoing claim with them. But okay, it on. is what it is. Yeah. I also know that when I'm spiritually connected and use the tools for addiction, like mm -hmm. meditation and all of that properly, they work for that stuff too. 100%. So yeah. if I'm stressed and I'm miserable, my pain is worse. Mm -hmm. So well, Because then we focus on the pain. Yeah. And, and I know from going to many chronic pain clinics and doctors and stuff like that, it's once we start focusing on the pain, we become more painful, right? Because the brain starts to allow all that pain in and it's like, holy Jesus, I'm in pain yeah. like really bad. Right? Yep. Like once we start focusing on it, whereas when you're treating it, it's out of mind, right? The pain's out of mind. I mean, when it's bad, it's never out of mind. You obviously learned how to incorporate your recovery into deal with treating your chronic pain. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Cause just, it's everything for me today is energy. Mm -hmm. That's a big part of like meditation and, mm -hmm. and energy work. That's who I am today. Back then, okay. clearly not. Yeah. But is that what you do for a living? Like yeah, energy work, energy okay, work cool. and uh, um, yoga and meditation. Okay. Everything that I was very scared of or opposed yeah. to, or I don't think I was opposed to that stuff. I think that just because I was so opposed to religion back then, that that stuff all just. And then once you found out that most religions think meditation is from the devil, then <sighs> meditation starts to look attractive. Right? To me, that, it sure I swear did. that's why that happened. Yeah, yeah. And it's so funny because the woman that I was talking about that um, I stayed with in Saskatchewan, mm -hmm. I called her mom back then, and she's very, very religious. Mm -hmm. And um, back then, I, she introduced me to the pastor of the little church, and he never really pushed religion on me, but I did counseling with him. Mm -hmm. I, hung, I did all of my kind of stuff before before the accident and all of that with them. But I remember when I started to dabble in yoga, she's like, you know, it's it's really dangerous that you're calling it, you can stretch without calling it yoga. There's no way that you can move into that way of life without getting caught up in in the the religious side of it and and just that's of the devil and all of this stuff. And she used to tell me that she put a protection, um, well, no, that she had to ask Jesus to put a protection bubble on her house when I would come over just to make sure that I, because of my energy work and that she had to do prayers. And I'm like, that, like without saying it, I'm just laughing because I do the same things. Mm -hmm. I just don't use the same word. And sometimes yeah. I do use the same word. I, yeah. I use the word God because it's a name and it's easy to identify. Mm -hmm. So... <laughs> 
We well, do and, the same and we guard, thing. Yeah, we all, we, most of us do. Yeah, yeah, we guard our energy and we try to protect it with whatever we believe in. Yeah, right? so. Yeah. That, I mean, it's always interesting to me, though. It wasn't that long ago I went to a, a course. It was uh, six years ago at a United Church down south in Calgary. And they were pre teaching this, that transcendental meditation, yoga was, was from Satan still. Like, literally, I was in this room and I'm listening to this guy talk about it. And I, I, I stood up and he goes, oh, do you want to say something? And I'm like... No, no, I'm just going to leave. <laughs> I'm like, I'm just going to go because this is horseshit. Like, I'm just going to get out of here. And don't get me wrong. If people believe that, that's great. That's yeah. great. Um, but trying to convince people who don't believe that and, and using that guilt of going to hell if you start meditating, um, like, it's just crazy. Yeah. That this still exists, right? Like that was five years ago, six years yeah. ago. Well, and that's yeah. the thing, the closed-minded aspect of that. And that's why I had a hard time with it. Mm -hmm. I put myself, one of my, one of my trying to get my shit together when I was still in high school was trying to go to the Christian school. I was like, mm. Well, they'll, you know, they have boundaries and, and structure and I'm going to, I'm going to go to the Christian school. And it's funny because first they told me I couldn't because mm -hmm. I was staying with my grandma and this is a family environment. And I was like, what kind of shit is that? You exclude people that don't have the right family dynamic and then next yeah of course yeah, and then you. and then next I moved I moved home and I remember the principal and the pastor of the the church was lecturing my mom because she's not super religious mm. and so he's trying to and she's like look she wants to go here and get her shit together. That's all her. Don't even bother talking to me about it. I'm out. And so that was another issue because now like your family doesn't believe in this. And so I was always the bad one, mm -hmm. even though like, yes, let's be real. Looking back, I probably was the bad one. Like I, well, you misbehaved. I'm yeah. sure. I talked to boys and yeah. I drove a car and I challenged some of their beliefs. Mm -hmm. So that didn't work for them. But you know, you know, I was. I was drinking and out and doing stuff, but it used to bother me because despite, even before they knew any of that, mm -hmm. I was the bad one and the parents hated me. And, you know, mm -hmm. it didn't matter that they, their daughters were out doing the exact same thing. Like I remember going out one, one night with one of them and she got blackout wasted and I took care of her mm -hmm. and got her home and whatever. I had to apologize to the entire school because that was my fault. That she drank and got drunk. I'm like, I wow. took care of her. Yeah. You have no idea what would have happened had I not made yeah. sure that she was all right. That had nothing to do with me. I didn't force this on her, but I had to apologize in front of the whole school. And, and the mom called my mom to talk about what a devil family we were. And it was mm -hmm. just like, okay, this I can't get behind. Mm -hmm. I can't get behind the two-faced, two two-sided things. Mm -hmm. Like you're you're going to heaven because at church and at school you put on this show and then yeah. behind the scenes it's the same shit as the rest of us. Mm -hmm. And so th that was my taste with it. And then my next big taste was, you know, I did that counseling and stuff with the pastor of the church mm -hmm. out in Saskatchewan, which was all great. For a long time, he never talked mm -hmm. to me about religion and it was awesome. And he became a really good friend and his family was, was uh, amazing and a huge mm -hmm. support to me through all of my crap. And then I got pregnant and then it was shoved right down my face mm -hmm. because you need to believe and this isn't about you. And I just remember having a conversation because by this point I had found meditation and I wasn't in the rooms and I was still not sure what my problem was, but I found meditation and I found yoga and I just knew that I felt good when I was there. And when I went to a meditation class, nobody asked what I believed in. Nobody asked what religion I was. Nobody cared. 
and they were all different religions, Buddhists, you know, whatever. And they were just so welcoming and they loved it. And so when he attacked me on it this time, I wasn't defensive. I was just mm-hmm. kind of like, you know, I'm good. Yeah. I'm good. I, I, we're, we're all right. I'm like, and I just can't get behind it. I'm like, cause what you're telling me is that when I die, no matter how amazing I live my life, I'm going to go to hell because I used the wrong name. Like I pray, I meditate, I do these things, but because I'm not using the same name as you. And he's like, yes, you are because it's about that relationship with God. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I can't get behind that. That doesn't align for me. Mm-hmm. That's like, fair. If you want to tell me that like all these people that dedicate their lives to amazing things are going to hell because they use the wrong name, mm-hmm. then I'll be with them. Yeah. You can have your stuff. Hell sounds better when it comes down to that shit. Right? right? Like, yeah. I just can't... For me, that's not what I believe. I believe mm-hmm. that... I believe that whatever we're talking to is all... No matter what, it's all the same thing. Seems the same to me, too. Yeah. And that it's it's love. And it's, mm. you know, when you really break down the basis of it, we all... The, all the different religions talk about the same things. Mm-hmm. Well, and they're all trying to do the same thing. They're trying yeah. to articulate the beginning of time. Yeah. Which, up until the last 20 years, we have had no real alternatives. Like, I mean, we've had them. People have explored and been scientists and all that. But, I mean, now the technology is starting to match what these thinkers thought, right? Like Einstein and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, But they didn't have that. They didn't have the ability to map the stars in a real way. They had the ability to look up at the stars and say, that looks like an ox. That looks like a cross, right? Like, I mean, that's what they did. Just like how they created religions. It was the same idea, right? This is what the world looks like to our geography, where we are in the time and place, right? This is what we all have come to agree that might be this creative energy. Because nobody knows where it comes from. So we all have ideas, right? And exactly. before TV and radio and shit, everybody just had these little areas where they had their tribe, their, their families, whatever it was. And, and then we started mixing and matching. Yeah. Yeah, which I think is great. Don't get me wrong. But of course, it's only natural. It's going to lead to religion becoming less and less effective, right? Yeah the more we realize everybody thinks the same thing, it's like, oh, well, then there's really no point to any of it. Yeah. <laughs> the organization, it's, I mean. Yeah, the organized part of it. Yeah. And that's kind of where I really learned coming into recovery and being told that I could identify a higher power as such in whatever way that I want. Mm-hmm. you just got to believe in something. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I look at a million different things in that way. By that point, I had found Reiki and energy mm-hmm. and energy is bigger than me. I don't know how it works or Mm -hmm. why it works, but it works. Mm -hmm. And I had experiences with that going in closed minded. We went to this Reiki Mm -hmm. thing and I was like, I don't know what this is, but Mm -hmm. I need to be here. Yeah. And I was in a bad headspace and just as combative as ever. And was just kind of like, whatever, do your thing. This is stupid. And then it was amazing. And I can't explain that, but it works. Meditation. I don't know what the hell happens in there. I just know when I shut up and sit down and do what I'm told and and allow for that to happen, that I feel amazing. Mm -hmm. And that I get that pause that we talked about and that things go a lot smoother. Mm -hmm. So I don't need to define it, but it's bigger than me. Mm -hmm. Nature is bigger than me. You know, I can't stand in front of Niagara Falls and tell that to stop flowing. Mm -hmm. Stop right now. I just don't like this. You know, so I just could, I could get behind that. And what I realized, yeah, Yeah. what I realized is that my issue more than anything was the fight Mm -hmm. and trying to identify it and and letting go of the the organized religion and just Mm -hmm. like, I don't have an, it's, I'm spiritual. I'm not religious. Mm. And that's the difference, right? Spirituality is, there's no definition and it's whatever Mm -hmm. you believe in. And, and 
I don't care what anyone believes in. If you believe in something, then congratulations mm-hmm. because life is going to be a lot better. And I, yeah. that's all I could ask for somebody. Yeah, totally. And, and developing faith, like those, those people who have spent time developing faith in whatever, like entity or no entity, whatever it is that we've developed faith in, you start to realize that the relationship is what it's all about. It's not about defining it, right? Like the more I hear people try to define it, the less like God it seems, right? Like, because I think, first of all, I don't have an imagination enough for that. Like, I just don't. Because like we talk about it all the time, Darcy and I, because Darcy can see, he sees um, spirit sometimes, right? And I believe it. Because when it happens, I'm like, oh, I felt that shit. Like, he just mentions it, and it's like, dude, the room's full of this energy, and he can see stuff, like, and feel it, right? I can't, right? And it's not because I don't believe in it. It's because that's just not how my brain works. Like, That's just, yeah, yeah. If they're the gifts, right? Exactly. Everyone and has Everyone different. has gifts. Yeah. I always, I actually, a friend of mine um, from Kelowna used to say, and I really resonate with this, that addicts, I think we're even, we are the gifted ones. Mm-hmm. And that's what, be, that's part of the reason that we drink and use is to numb some of that out because that's not always acceptable in society and it's weird and I feel too much or I see weird things or I hear things or whatever your gift is. So Mm -hmm. let's just get rid of that shit right now with some drugs and alcohol because I don't want to identify that part. Mm -hmm. 100%. So she used to call us the the superheroes. Mm -hmm. We we come into recovery and and our our superhero um, strengths start to pop back up. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Our empathy, like... I'm the most empathetic people I know are in recovery, yeah. right? Like, I mean, don't get me wrong. I know some pretty empathetic non-recovery people, but deep down, that empathy, right, where we actually feel for other people, that's something I think what you're touching on is that gift, right? Because I think when people can feel genuinely what other people are feeling and they can, like, answer that somehow, I, I just find that's fast, such a gift, right? Yeah. That people have, like, energy healers or any kind of healer, right? Like, someone who's just simply trying to be a catalyst for someone to do something different. Yeah. You know, like it's pretty cool. Yeah, it is. And I think the way the world is right now, those kinds of gifts are being Mm -hmm. forced to the surface because we need them. We need the empaths. We need the healers. We Mm -hmm. need the sensitives right now. Yeah, we do. And it's funny because then on the other side of it, there's people who are blaming the empaths and the emotional people for the problems we have, right? It's so funny. Like everyone wants to blame people. But I, yeah. I, I talk to people who are, you know, with this Ukraine stuff, and they're like, oh, we would have been prepared if this was back in 1945. And I'm like, we were at war in 1945. We were no more prepared then than we are now. Like, yeah. I mean, it was, I mean, obviously the war started before then, but it, it's like, we can see it now, right? We can see it starting. Back then they couldn't. They had no cameras, you know, like everywhere with phone cameras and stuff. And now we're getting these images from war and we're all sick of it. Right? Yeah. Most of us. I shouldn't say all of us. Most of us are... I don't have a fucking stomach for another one. Like, yeah. Like, and I don't know anyone who I associate with who does. No. Right? Like, I, don't, I don't hear anyone cheering that on. No. Like, it's, it's, it's just so... I think it's outdated. I think war is outdated, right? Agreed. And, I mean, obviously, it's problematic, but it, I just think... I don't know why we need it anymore. No, I just don't feel like it's necessary. Yeah. It doesn't have to go that route. Yeah. But, I don't think so either. But anyway, yeah. I... We keep getting off of your story. <laughs> yeah. That's because it's interesting, so. Yeah, thank you. Mm-hmm. Yes. So I guess we're, we were at finding my way into AA. Yes. Um, I just remember feeling so out of place still because I still mm-hmm. wasn't sure what my problem was. 
and I hadn't drank for so long. And I was like, I don't, I don't know that I belong here. And there was that underlying yet again, shame, which Mm -hmm. means my disease is active and just trying to get me the hell out of there because that's what it wants. It wants me to keep me disconnected. Don't let her think that she belongs here because then I'm fucked. So I got in there and I remember the very first woman that introduced herself and gave me a hug and sat with me and got my phone number and she is she is in my life for quite a while for the mm-hmm. first few years a really amazing lady and I listened to the stories and again I still think it's funny how when I look around and see people that have clearly done the work mm-hmm. and have this light and look like they've got their shit together, instead of connecting the dots that, hey, maybe they did these things mm-hmm. that people are talking about, I'm like, you're just not as fucked up as me. Yeah. You clearly came in here like already up here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can't, my brain doesn't wrap, it's, my mind doesn't wrap itself around the fact that somebody might actually have put in some effort for that. Mm-hmm. You're, so, you're like right on the nail there, man. Like I hear that, like newcomers say that all the time, right? They just don't. We just don't think when we're new that anyone could possibly get to where we might get to. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. And it is. It's so commonplace with people coming in, like fresh people, right? A hundred percent. Yeah. It's the same story over and over. That's when sponsorship. Precise. And you're like, oh my yeah. God, I could, do you have the script? Did you read the script before yeah. you sat down with me, hey? Because yeah. it's the same one that I hear from every single person, yeah. including myself. Yeah. Over and over. Like we, we really are the same. And mm. that's what's so funny about it is coming in, I desperately think I'm terminally unique and I'm so mm. much worse. And I was born a piece of shit. So this might have worked for you, but you weren't born a piece of shit like me. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this, this just is going to work. And we weren't there work. when they came in and were feeling like pieces yeah, of shit. Yeah. And it's like they're looking yeah. at me going, that's the same script that I had. And I'm <laughs> thinking that I'm so different. And yeah. <laughs> it's the exact opposite. I am yeah. exactly the same as every single person in that room. I think for some people, that must just crush their soul right. you know, in a way that I can't relate to. Right. Yeah. Because like, I felt like it was liberating when yeah. I got there. Yeah. Like I was like, oh, oh, thank God people know what I'm going through. Like that's how I felt. I, yeah. I never had to go back out after that. And it was. Not my doing. It was obviously the the way it's all put together, right? Because yeah. when I walked in, I was like, oh, these people are me, man. Like, and I thought, man, I had a career. I had, you know, finished university. I was I was back in university doing another, like, degree when I came in. And I just thought I had the world by the balls, right? And I did not, man. When I sat in that AA meeting, I was like, holy fuck dude I'm looking around at all these people yeah. and they're smiling and I'm bawling and you're just leveled at <laughs> yeah. that point like, what just happened oh it was leveling like you described yeah. it perfectly yeah yeah I relate to the same thing I, I never relapse wasn't part of my story mm-hmm. I came in and once I was able to identify that holy shit I have this this thing this mm-hmm. is me there was such freedom in that because mm-hmm. like I like I said earlier, I thought that I was just born a piece of shit or that I was the same as my dad or whatever mm-hmm. and that I was fucked for the rest of my life. Yeah. And I had been living with the disease with no solution for 14 months at this point. Like mm-hmm. it was ugly. Mm-hmm. And the thought that, oh my gosh, I, there's another side to this. So even though I didn't think that maybe... I wasn't certain that I could get there. Mm-hmm. I wasn't certain yet that I belonged. I had nowhere else to go. I'm four months pregnant. I'm alone. Mm-hmm. I'm living back home, renting my mom's basement. And I just kept showing up because mm-hmm. no one else wanted me. Like, why would they? I just had nothing left. Mm-hmm. And I started building relationships with people there. And I got, I did what I was told because I was so desperately mm-hmm. broken 
And my only goal at that time for it was to not hate myself by the time that baby came. So I knew I was having a girl. So uh, by the time my little girl got there, I didn't want to hate myself. I didn't want her to see me as a piece of shit and to know me. And I just had that little lingering hope that maybe I'm not a piece of crap and maybe I can be different. And so I started doing the things that I was told. And I was so addicted at that point now Mm -hmm. to anything that would offer spiritual growth because it was just really cool. At that point, I had started, I had gone to a couple of Reiki sessions and made the decision that that's what I was going to do as a career and was going to yoga and Mm -hmm. doing meditation. And those things felt so incredible that that spiritual healing side of things, I just wanted more of that. Mm -hmm. And my little sister had moved home at that point. Um, I talk about my, when I talk about my three sisters, they're actually my cousins who I choose to have closer than Mm -hmm. My biological. Because you guys obviously get along. Yeah. Or you, you gals. Because my along. real sister might be a little crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Fair. So, and we just have always, you know, identified that we come from a shitty background mm-hmm. and life changes and this family starts with this generation moving forward. And yeah. so my little sister had gotten, um, left university in Edmonton at the same time and landed back home. We were always close, but mm-hmm. she was also young enough that I always babysat her, and that was kind of the dynamic. And so she always saw me as the hungover babysitter, mm-hmm. um, but was always around. <laughs> yeah. And it was really cool because she's also gifted, mm-hmm. same as we talked about earlier. Yeah. And I didn't know that about her. And so now here I am doing my gifts, and here mm-hmm. she is doing hers, and that brought us together. And we did all of our wow. like healing training together and yeah. just the coolest stuff. And that was mm-hmm. God right there. Like that's divine intervention. Sure. It gave me just this light to have by my side while mm-hmm. I went through all of it. Divine intervention or coincidence, depending. Yeah. yeah. It was I just, would say divine intervention. Yeah. I'm big on I don't <laughs> I don't believe in lucky. I believe in gifted yeah, gifts. Everything yeah. happens exactly how it's meant to. Yeah. And I say it for the doubters out there. Yeah. yeah. And it just, because again, it opened my mind to, my mind to more of that mm-hmm. stuff because it was still all weird and new and I'm sobering up and I'm mm-hmm. experiencing emotions and I'm sobering up and I'm experiencing these gifts and I'm all of that stuff and just learning how to be an empath and learning like all of the things. Mm-hmm. And I got to navigate it with her and that was so cool and I started working the steps and the steps worked me because I don't know what happened in there I just did what I was told and I did it because I wanted to lose that Mm self-hatred and I always had that like that's still an ongoing struggle because I think that Mm self-love is an ongoing going thing Mm -hmm. I don't understand those people that are just all good with themselves or secure I never have either I don't get it. I appreciate that. Maybe some yeah. people do feel that way because yeah. that's cool. I mean, I, yeah. I love it. Like people that are just so strong in who mm-hmm. they are, I look up to that and I yeah. admire that. And it gives me something to, to, look, to look forward to or to work towards. Mm-hmm. So I was working the steps for that reason, like to try and, and gain that. And that naturally started coming through working the steps and through clearing all, out all the garbage that was blocking me off from spiritual connection mm-hmm. and learning that that darkness inside me that I, that I felt my whole life was spiritual bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. Learning that as an addict of the desperate type, I have two choices in life. Continue on the way that I am living, which will end very badly. Like it says in the book, jails, institutions, or death, or in the AA big book, right? Like there is only two options. 
and the and that step one tells me not that I'm powerless over alcohol and I might use again, or I'm powerless powerless over drugs and I might use again. That I am powerless completely, mm-hmm. and I will with certainty mm-hmm. use again. Hundred yeah. percent. I am hopeless. That is it. Mm-hmm. That is the one choice, and that is the one thought that's in there, and the one way of life, and the only other option mm-hmm. is a new way of life. Yeah. And the new way of life is the book, the steps, mm-hmm. the spiritual awakening. Mm-hmm. And it's to continue in that spiritual journey every day because I don't stay clean on the first spiritual awakening. Oh, hey, we can't. Yeah. Not a chance. Yeah. And so that is it. And if I don't make a choice, if I don't mm-hmm. choose to, to do the steps and, and live this life, then I've made a choice. Mm-hmm. That is a choice. If I choose to only dip my toe in or, yeah. or dance around it a little while, then that is a choice and it's the choice for the opposite. Mm-hmm. Spiritual bankruptcy, whatever it looks like. It might not be death. It might not even be picking up, mm-hmm. but it could be that darkness to start and then yeah. end up that way. Well, and most people will talk about after time. Well, not most. I don't know what the percentage is, but lots of people in programs will talk about the, the we need the bullet, the bottle, or the book, right? And we'll come to those points in our recovery where we need one of those things. Like, 100%. And, and unfortunately, we know too many that go back to the bottle, but we also know too many. We know lots that choose the bullet. Too. For sure. Because what you're talking about is that <clears throat> demoralization that comes back even if you don't use. Yeah. Because it comes back to remind you why you used, really, and to try yeah. to get you back. To try and get me back. It's exactly. the shame generator. Yeah. Um, I was reading the book with my sponsor, and she always talks about the two. She compares it to Tron. And I just, mm-hmm. I love it because she's like, have you ever seen that movie Tron? And like, no. And she's like, me neither. I'm like, okay, good. This, I love where this is right. going. I like where it's going, too, because I haven't seen it either. <laughs> but she's like, you know, the two light motorcycles? And she talks about the, the, the motorcycles um, running parallel. And mm-hmm. one is that... <clears throat> that shame, that thought, that it, which is the mental obsession, totally. essentially, right? There's like no it's question. the mental obsession. Yeah. And that's what it is when we talk about it and, and that spiritual um, bankruptcy. It's the mental obsession that's constantly there, that thought that will win out every single time mm-hmm. and it doesn't stop and it doesn't slow down and, it, and it's still always going strong. Mm-hmm. And the only thing that I can do to keep that at bay is to make the other one stronger. And that's the spiritual side of things. And that's giving things to God. And that's whatever. And it's it's that um, I don't get to run on self-will. And I'm completely powerless over my addiction. Mm-hmm. But where I do have power and where I can implement self-will and where I actually am incredibly powerful mm-hmm. is in making the choices mm-hmm. to nurture my spiritual game. Mm-hmm. And I have to. I have to strengthen that so that it stays out in front of that other light motorcycle that's trying to kill me. Mm-hmm. Precisely. So this it's an ongoing thing. Mm-hmm. And if I slip back, that's why like in the beginning, they're running pretty parallel. And so if I've only done a little bit and I stop, then this is going to take off right yeah. away. But if I've been around for a while and I've got all these things, but then I stop, you know, yep. I might start shopping. I might relapse in rage. I might relapse in um, in a relationship. Mm-hmm. I might be miserable, restless, irritable, discontent, bitchy, whatever. But the longer that I stay in that, mm-hmm. then this is eventually going to take take over. And that, that could happen in a day. It could happen in 10 years. Mm-hmm. I unfortunately watched a really dear friend of mine. He worked at the treatment center with me. When I went through my shit, he did counseling for me. My person, the person that I could call at two in the morning that just got it and would be like, do you want the male perspective, the addict perspective, the, you know, the friend perspective. Mm -hmm. And he had 12 years and he relapsed just before Christmas three years ago. And he's gone. He's gone. He's sorry. Yeah. He's just hasn't 
made it back and I've seen him a few times and it's that you kind of definitely don't recognize him on the outside but you kind of recognize little pieces of him on the inside but it's like mourning somebody that's still alive yeah spiritually dead it's like mourning a a walking corpse almost yeah and it's just awful it is and you look back and and see because he's the one that taught me all this stuff right relapse Mm -hmm. doesn't happen here it happens way back here and Mm -hmm. you know when I was going through all my shit and just completely falling apart again he's like it didn't happen here it happened way back here and I get to look back and be like holy shit he spent so much time helping others and letting people that were still using into his life and like chasing them and having a relationship where she was in and out for years and eventually you know five years and you're gone well and the best of us that's that's our destiny once we pick up that drink right like It is uncommon for us to stay sober. Yeah. It's, it's the most uncommon thing we do. Like that's the percentages of staying sober over the course of five, 10, 15, 20 years, they drop significantly yeah. every five year increment, right? It's not natural to it us. It isn't. And I try to tell people that because I'm like, you know, when they, people come back and they're ashamed and I say, you don't have to be ashamed. This is what we do, man. Yeah. This is like, it is hundred percent unnatural for me not to drink. Yeah. Well, and it's the why too. People are like, why did you use or why did I use or why did I do this? I am working on a new, um, like I work with a a guy in the program. He's an old timer and he's a hard ass and he only works with people. It's um, trauma-based stuff too, Mm -hmm. trauma-based 12 steps. He only works with people that have been around for, you know, about six years or so Mm because that's when it starts to happen. Six years, 10 years, that kind of thing where it's like we lose step two, Mm -hmm. which I didn't realize that's what it was until he pointed it out. Step Mm -hmm. two, God God isn't big enough anymore. I'm not believing that he can take away everything, mm-hmm. the things that I'm shameful of, the you know that he can change those things too. Mm-hmm. And so I lose my connection a bit. And I'm working with him now. And he took away all my homework last week. And he's like, no, you're going back to like my your only homework. The only thing I'm allowed to work on right now is losing the word why. Mm-hmm. Because why doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And when, I'm, when somebody relapses, the question's not why. It's like we said in step one, you are going to use again. Mm. So the question's not, why did you use again? You're an addict. So what happened that, mm. that made you stop letting God in? What got in the way of God coming in to intervene? What actions? So it's like that what? It's not why. Why is because I'm an addict and I will. Well, and, and why is super irrelevant? doesn't matter. Well, it would be relevant if we were 100% sure that our answer was accurate. But because we're not, and we can't be, because whenever I ask someone why they did something, they rationalize. Yeah. But that's the nature of the human mind, is to rationalize away when you're being questioned about something. Yeah, it's the it's an opportunity for me to go into self-pity. It's an opportunity yeah. for me to justify, rationalize, whatever it is, mm-hmm. to feed my, my insecurities. Mm-hmm. Why do they like me? Why don't they like mm-hmm. me? Why did they say this? Why did they do this? Mm-hmm. Why did I do this? And so he tells me, like, lose the why, and it's just he likes me or mm-hmm. they like me or I'm doing this or I chose this. Mm-hmm. And it's the responsibility. That changes everything. Well, it absolutely does. When, when, when we can change the focus and the reframe looking at things from a what is lens instead of a why, we do much better. Yeah. There's, no, there's less judgment because yeah. when we ask people why, usually that's the ego trying to have a judgment. It's like, why did you do that? I yep. told you if you did that, you'd be like there, you'd drink again. It's like that, I told you why. And right? it sounds, there's a tone that there comes is, out yeah, in 100%, it. 100%. It's Immediately, yeah. 
it makes me have my back up if yep. someone's like, why did you do this? Defense starts to kick in mm-hmm. and it's, it's, it's a bit of attack or a bit of judgment or whatever mm-hmm. it is. Like it just, it's language and I'm big on language. I'm yep. all about like what you put out there and you know, the why has to go, the shoulds need to go. Yep. Instead of saying should, because as soon as I say I should have done this, I'm shaming myself. That mm-hmm. is shaming language. But if I go, you know what? I I chose not to. I chose not to meditate this morning, mm-hmm. and this is the consequence. Yeah. I have now just taken responsibility, and I can move on. Mm-hmm. Instead of living in that, I should have done it, and shaming yeah. myself. Like there's no, I don't have room for that. My there's no room for self pity. There's no room for shame. It doesn't. It's useless. And the interesting thing about that is that opens up the door for another option of treating addiction, right? Which is smart recovery. So I don't know if you've ever been to smart recovery, if you've ever heard a meeting or anything like that. I go to all kinds of places to learn stuff. So smart recovery has no judgmental language because it's all scientific. So it's all like psychology, psychological stuff it's, um, and science. Uh, but it has the same principles as AA. It yeah. just doesn't have any judgment because there's no moral end to it, right? Whereas... Once we start tying in spiritual things, for some people, that takes that puts it in a moral ground, right? Where it's like, this is a moral failing. Hence why we get lots of stigma about that, right? Because they did addicts and stuff. But in the smart, it's all about like, what? There's no questions of why. Like the questions are all what? <laughs> what did you do? What, what were the feelings associated with that action? Like what? Not why. Mm. Because most, most, I think most people who understand and I learned this a long time ago as a social worker, the why question is just absolutely, it's confusing. All it does is confuse yes. things, right? Because we're human, so we all have like judgments that we carry with us, biases we carry with us. So whenever someone asks me why, I'm like, the fuck you want to know? <laughs> like, because I think it's a cop. I'm like, why are, are you a cop? Like, what Yeah, are you, like, what are you interrogating me for? What do you already know or think exactly it feels like you've already got an opinion on this and you're putting it on me yeah what position are you starting from yeah right because i know what position i'm starting from and it's one that is 100 percent willing to like accept whatever it is you're going to say next yeah that's the position see and i am by nature like not by in disease i guess so not Mm -hmm. by nature but my disease is complete victim and complete defense yes so the second that that happens, mm-hmm. I feel like a child scrambling mm-hmm. and I can no longer function. And then shame kicks in because I'm like, oh my God, how did I react like that? Like, yeah. that's ridiculous. Yeah. And that's just, yeah. Mm-hmm. I used to hate the words manipulation and victim coming into recovery because they hit so deep that I'm like, oh, that I don't cuts. like that. It cuts so deep. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, that makes me sick. Yeah. Yeah, that makes me sick, and I don't want to think about that. Yeah, <laughs> I might resonate yeah. that. With why that. did I do that? Because I'm a sociopath. That's why. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's where why leads us, right? It's like you have all kinds of people thinking they're sociopaths and psychopaths, and the truth is, thank God you're not. Like, thank <laughs> God you're not, because you know what? Like, real sociopaths and psychopaths, they have. I mean, they're they're around and they're here, but thank God there's not as many as we think. Yeah, right? it's true. Yeah. Or even just like coming into, this is another one that I get probably from nine out of 10 sponsees. Mm-hmm. I have borderline personality disorder. Do you? Mm-hmm. Did your doctor diagnose that with you, on you when you were, you know, on day 10 of not sleeping by any mm-hmm. chance? Or did you let them know that you're a meth addict still active or that you're just coming off of meth? Because really you can't diagnose something until you treat addiction. Mm-hmm. 
you're fucking crazy. You need yeah. to deal with the addiction first. My doctor and, then see and I what worked lays out a there. on that. When I sobered up, I told him I'd sobered up and he wanted me on antidepressants and he wanted me on antipsychotics. And I said, you know what, man? In five years, if I still need them, we'll have another conversation. Yeah. Right? Because I, I knew I was messed up. I was like, and then he understood where I was coming from because he didn't know shit about addiction. Yeah. It's almost 20 years ago, right? And he's just like, eyes wide open going, I did not expect this from this kid. Like, to yeah. tell me that this is what's going on. But because he kept wanting to address my symptoms, right? And, it's, and that's what we want to, and that's what doctor, that's, that's the misunderstanding, that's right? We, we want to treat the symptoms. Yeah. And then there's a huge misunderstanding. Yeah. And that also leads into the shame factor mm -hmm. and the cycle. And I just think that if there was more of a understanding of the disease of addiction, mm -hmm. man, like, because I believe that it's something that I'm born with. And I see some of the tendencies mm -hmm. in my son and it's like, oh shit. Uh, He's got stash spots all over his room of candy that he hides. And, and then I- He cut out a mattress to put candy Seriously in there, like... though, it's the best. The best is he, one day I seen him and he had candy and I'm like, where did that come from? Yeah. And you know, he's, I don't know, I don't know. I don't have anything, I don't know. And finally, and he's four, finally, he like hangs his head and he goes to the kitchen, opens a cupboard of pots and pans, reaches to the back, pulls off a pot lid and like way back in there, there's this bag of candy that he stole from my purse. And then the nanny was like, oh my gosh, that's what that was? Because he's, he kept telling her things like, I love you. Can you run upstairs and get me a book from upstairs? And then she'd come down and she could see that he's eating something. Yeah. So he, he's sending her all over the place and then oh, running for man. his stash yeah. and then coming back. So you're like mapping. You're like, oh, dear Jesus, like, on such and such a day. <laughs> and I'm like, I can't even be mad at that. Like, that's brilliant. It's pretty clever. But also yeah. terrifying because yeah. that's straight addict behavior. <laughs> and and it's okay because, you know, yeah. I've heard I've heard people, like some counselors even, they're like, don't put that on him. And I'm like, why? Why not? Like, that's the problem right there is mm -hmm. the stigma of shame. If I was telling you that I think he's diabetic, would you have said the same thing? Mm -hmm. It's just in how having that knowledge allows us to treat it in a different way. Well, because you just see behavior, right? Yeah. yeah, and now we can address his behaviors or give mm -hmm. him tools or have the right people talk to him. Mm -hmm. And that's what we need, not the shame and the lack mm -hmm. of understanding. And that would make a world of difference. Mm -hmm. But we don't have that yet. I yeah. think we're scratching the surface in some areas and people are starting to understand. But God forbid you call someone an addict or whatever mm -hmm. because there's a stigma attached. And yeah. it's not a negative thing. I don't see it that way anymore, but lots of people do. Right? Absolutely. And, yeah. And, and it's cool if they don't want to be known that way, right? If we don't want to, because we come clean, maybe we get clean and we figure out, I want to let that go. Right. Yeah. And I totally yeah. get that. Like I get, I get the, you know, I, I know that not everybody who leaves the program goes and dies. Like I know that because I know yeah. people who've left and are fine. It's <laughs> like, true. Yeah. Yeah. And I spend time with them occasionally. Yeah. Right. Like they're, they're perfectly normal humans. They, you know, whatever happened for them. The, as you mentioned earlier, the disease might have went into remission for them, right? Yeah. And I mean, that was a result of a Harvard study years ago on addiction in general, was the recidivism rate could be directly linked to the lack of um, going into remission. Because when they start looking at it like a disease, they have to take into account remission rates because that's a disease. Yeah. As diseases go naturally, some go into remission. Right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Whether they're treated or not, they go into remission. Sometimes, right? The trouble with alcoholism is we, if we don't get treated, we usually die before yeah. we get a chance to go into remission, right? Like, um, so there's parts of that that make sense to me. I, I don't know if it's all true or not, but 
It seems reasonable. Yeah, right? uh, yeah, because I've seen people that have had major, and I don't know. I don't know if that's that whole argument of the hard user versus mm. the true addict. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Because we know there's different types. Like right, have, and uh, the you know. Yeah. And I we my sponsor and I talked about that actually in regards to treatment centers that mm. that treatment centers can be perfect for the hard user because they don't have that same level of disease that I have and they can go in and they can go, Hey, you know, this relationship mm. or this trauma really was the issue yeah. and they put down their drugs and they're able to work through their stuff and life gets better. Mm. But that's just not the case for me. Yeah. Like or that's me. just not or the me. way the brain works yeah. for, for me. Yeah. You take my stuff and things get worse and I have mm -hmm. to treat it every day. I appreciate how you qualify that though for you, right? You say that and that, I, I appreciate when people do that, when they, re when they repeat the, this is what works for me, right? Yeah. Because sometimes when we're in this, even in this position doing a podcast or maybe a speaker meeting, right? Like I want to make sure people understand that just because it worked for me, it might not work for you. Yeah. But that doesn't mean there isn't a solution for you. That just means my way is not your way. Right? Yeah. Like I didn't naturally gravitate towards energy healing, right? But I gravitated, to, I stayed into healing as some, some component of working with humans, right? But your gift was more with the energy, hence you gravitate towards the energy. Yeah. And it's kind of like, uh, you mentioned this earlier too, when you did the steps, the steps worked you. And I, I like that, I haven't heard that for a while actually, yeah. because they do, they chip away at all the things we put in place to cover up who we are, right? And I think really what happens um, is we get we gain courage as we become more familiar with ourselves. We're like, oh, I need this. I need to do this for myself. Yeah. Right. It's like a coming home process. Like I yeah. feel like it, I didn't come into recovery to learn things. Mm -hmm. I came into recovery to unlearn a whole bunch of things and unload baggage mm -hmm. and to come home to who I authentically am. Yeah. Because that's that you know that horrific belief that I had that I was born a piece of shit. Mm -hmm. No one is born bad. That's not a thing. It's not real. We start to learn coping mechanisms and we, mm -hmm. we pick up things along the way. And then I made it into the rooms and I had to start to recognize the things that weren't working for me and start to take down the armor and start to realize that I don't need to put on armor to face the world. That's totally an addict thing, right? Like that's just that thing in my brain that tells me that I'm always in battle mm -hmm. and that I can put down the sword and that I can start to let go of all of these barriers and that I get to release and shine that light that mm -hmm. is that was always there that has just been blocked out by things. And the steps did that for me. And then, you know, for me, the steps weren't enough. Like stopping there mm -hmm. is not enough. I needed to carry on with all of that stuff. And one set of steps, one set of steps is not enough. And I keep going and I keep looking for anything that promises mm -hmm. that healing. It doesn't mean that it's going to work for me, nope. but if it's a book, if it's a class, if it's a, a some sort of weird hippie mm -hmm. healing thing that I have judgment on, I'm going to try it. Why not? And then I'm going to keep what works for me and I'm going to let go of what doesn't. Mm -hmm. And I just have to keep trying to be better than I was yesterday and try to grow spiritually, even a millimeter a day, as mm -hmm. long as I'm moving forward. Because if I coast, I coast backwards. Yeah. And that happens. Mm -hmm. And But you're right. It's like the Tron bikes, right? When yeah. you're starting to coast, the other bike's pulling up on you. Yeah. And right? then all of a sudden I'm, I'm bitchy or I'm short-tempered with my kids or, you know, mm -hmm. whatever it is. I'm blaming, I'm shaming, I'm all of those things, the itchy, mm -hmm. bitchy, twitchy, yeah. but I know what it is now and I need those things. Mm -hmm. I need those defects and I hate that word. I hate calling them defects of character because I just don't believe in, in anything being solely negative or solely positive. When I do fifth steps, I tell people their skills. They've developed these skills, right? Yeah. They're, they're not defects. They're a part of our life and we need to understand what they are. 
Yeah, right. and they, yeah. they are an alarm bell. 100%. And then they're also, I mean, selfish looks a lot different when I'm spiritually connected than it does when I'm not. When I'm not connected and I'm in my attic brain, I'm an asshole and I'm selfish mm-hmm. and everything is all about me. Yeah. But when I'm spiritually connected... I'm taking care of me so that I can take care of others. I'm helping others because underneath it helps me. Mm-hmm. Like, that's not a negative thing. No. That's selfish in the best positive, pos- mm-hmm. possible way, right? Mm-hmm. So I need those things. Of course. And they're not necessarily just bad. No, not at all. It's like, um, and I usually when I hear fifth steps, because I've been hearing them for, for a few years, I'll give people a list of their defects. And I only call them defects once when I talk to people. I'm like, these are supposedly your defects. What they actually are are skills that you've developed to get what you want, to do what you want, to use what you want, to um, use people however you want. Like, we need these to get those things. Like, there's no question about it. You cannot be honest and get what you want all the time because yeah. people will tell you to go F yourself, right? Yeah. Like, and so they are absolutely skills. Um, 100%. Yeah, and, and honestly, selfishness isn't a problem unless it's that selfishness that goes beyond our needs, right? Where we start yeah. demanding. That's the selfishness we're talking about in our defects anyway, is this selfishness that's beyond, it's in the extreme end of selfishness. Yeah. It's not the basic end where we need to take care of ourselves. Yeah, it's the, I have to put me first, Mm -hmm. which I hear in the rooms all the time in regards to not, Mm -hmm. you know, you have to get out of self and and take care of others. Mm -hmm. No, I have to take care of me first. Mm -hmm. This is a selfish program in that sense. It's Mm -hmm. not a selfish program. Don't tell a newcomer it's a selfish program. Yes, it is in a sense that I need to be spiritually connected and do it for the right reasons. But if I don't take care of Mm -hmm. me first, doesn't it tell me that I'm going to lose everything anyways? Mm -hmm. That I'm of no use to anyone? Yeah. I have nothing to offer? Yeah, there's there's a huge difference, and you just said it, between being spiritually bankrupt and selfish and being spiritually like treated and selfish because they look different. Yeah. And I understand, I think where people are coming from in the rooms anyway, I don't really know because I don't say it, but if they were to say, don't tell people that, it's because they, there's a lot of times where I go in the rooms and I've been around them for a while and I hear things like that, right? Like don't say those things, but that's true. Just tell the truth. Like this is why people don't like this program. Some of them is because they come in and they hear stuff that they think is bullshit, right? Because there's no way this is all good. There's no. just no way for this to be all good because we're damaged humans, man. This is going to be hard. And I think it's a learning process too, <laughs> yeah. coming in to be able to have that honesty. Cause I know in 100%. the beginning, I remember that moment and yep. it was, you know, I've been in recovery at this point. Um, I had my daughter, I have a mm-hmm. son now too. Um, luckily neither of them have to see me use. I always joke, Fantastic. they still see the crazy cause that comes out sometimes. Like that Tron bike takes over and well, mommy's crazy bike, again. Man. Tina <laughs> likes that other bike, right? right? She gets on there and starts revving it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> She's got a thing for those bikes. <laughs> She's got a thing for a lot of things. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and so, so does my Tina. Yeah. I don't know what her name is or his name. Yeah. Whatever. You'll let me know next time. I will. I'll be thinking about this now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But yeah, so I'm, you know, four years in recovery, I was at a place where I was paralyzed Mm -hmm. in, in recovery because I was in a relationship again that just wasn't very, it wasn't healthy. Mm -hmm. It ended it physically. Um, it was emotionally and mentally abusive from the get go. It ended physically abusive and I was paralyzed because that's what happens. You can't, I can't carry on with my spirituality and be super healthy in an unhealthy environment. And that's why it had, mm-hmm. how, like, if we stay, that's why that's so dangerous. Mm-hmm. If we stay in environments like that, whether it's relationships, friendships, eventually it's going to take you down. Oh, yeah. 
had I stayed, eventually it would have taken me down because I can see how, like I couldn't even do my work mm -hmm. at the time because I just couldn't connect because, so it just paralyzed me. I and you're like, you're hitting so many parts of my story. Like, I'm just not, I'm not going to, I don't want to distract from what you're saying, but it's just like that paralyzation. I felt that for like three years almost in a relationship yeah. where I was just paralyzed to move and do anything. And, and it just, when you said that, I'm like, holy shit, that's exactly what it was. It was paralyzed, not able to express the proper emotions because I'm so paralyzed, right? Yeah. By whatever's happened what's been going on what I what my actions were of course involved in that. yeah well and your action my actions kept me trapped because yeah. like I said I'm not that's healthy right. now because I'm in an unhealthy environment that's so right. then I act out in an unhealthy way mm -hmm. and then it's like well see you just belong here because you are a piece of shit the story yeah. of my life what it always tells me right? Yeah, that's right what it wants me to believe and I stayed in that for you know off and on for a, a couple years mm -hmm. um and it was just trying to put on the front and not let people see how broken I was mm -hmm. on the inside. And for a bit, I didn't sponsor because I had um, a resentment towards sponsorship based mm -hmm. on some of the things that had happened. And yeah. I had this young girl ask me to sponsor her. And I remember being angry and annoyed because I didn't want to. And I didn't. And it was the exact kind of scenario that I was like, I don't trust I don't trust anyone and I don't trust you. And I was just in this headspace. It was awful. Mm -hmm. And she broke through that and she really did. And she learned me or she taught me how to open up again. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately she died mm -hmm. and that was awful. Um, she didn't make it. We couldn't Sorry, get past yeah. step two. Um, and it was right after I moved out here, mm -hmm. but, I, but the next thing is I carried on and I'm, I'm doing all of this stuff and I got asked to share at a sponsorship, mm -hmm. a sponsor sponsee thing. And this is right as my relationship got physical, like a week before. And I'm trying to make a decision of what the hell to do. And my whole world is blowing up. And I got to go speak at this thing. And I'm like, no, like nobody wants what I have. I can't do this. And from that, I had a sponsee that's still a sponsee of mine. And she's incredible. And she asked me to sponsor her after that event. And I remember trying to hide it. Because at first everyone's like, you know, like you've just got, you, you've got your life together and you've got the yeah. family and you've got the stuff. And it's the pedestal thing that you talked about in the beginning. When people put you there, it's terrifying. Mm -hmm. Don't put me there because yeah. I don't have it together. And when I see that that's what you see in me mm -hmm. and I realize that everything you see in me is bullshit. Yeah. I don't have any of that. Yeah. I feel even more paralyzed because I don't feel the, the ability to be honest. Mm -hmm. And to express yourself And to express properly. what's going on yeah. because you're going to know and you're going to know that everything is a facade and you're going to leave. Yeah. And that, that's my belief with everything, right? Yeah. You're going to see me and you're going to leave. You're going to see me and you're going to hate me. Yeah. And so I started sponsoring her and, and within a, a month, I did get honest. Mm -hmm. And I let her see everything that was going on. Right. And the gift in that is she taught me mm -hmm. that people don't just leave. And that that inspired her and in turn it like, and I just got to see the two sides of things that this really isn't just about me and that by not being honest, I'm robbing her of the opportunity of getting what she needs from that experience too. Or if it is that she needs to leave that environment because I'm not right for her, I'm still robbing her of that. And to this day, I actually called her last week because I had that realization where I was like, I need to tell her how much she's taught me yeah. and how much she's helped my insecurities like that mm -hmm. dissipate. And it was a really amazing conversation. And like I said, it's been it, three awesome. years later, I still, um, still have her in my life. And mm -hmm. she was there through everything. And she taught me that 
it's, I sponsor completely different now. I don't, I'm vulnerable. And I know that they're like, for some people they need the sponsor and they need, or they need to be the sponsor where mm-hmm. it's a very clear boundary of, you don't know what's going on in my life. This is about you kind of thing. Totally up to them. Yep. And I, that's not how I am. Like, it's yeah. just a vulnerable, it's like family. It's, mm-hmm. and it helped me grow incredibly. And that's why I always say my sponsees give me so much more than I feel like I could ever give them. Mm-hmm the level of growth and the level of lessons that I've gotten and whether it's connection, vulnerability, affection, that has all come through sponsorship and that's cool. And I learned that it is dangerous to try and be that person that sits in a meeting and tells you that everything is all good and that this, you know, it's all rainbows and sunshine and to not let you see my vulnerability because you need to know that shit is hard that at nine years clean, it is hard, that I'm barely holding on, but I am holding on and I'm going to get through it and I know mm-hmm. I'm going to get through it and here's how. Yeah, because you know it's going to pass, right? Yeah. You've learned that. Because that's real. Mm-hmm. It's if the I reality into, of everything. Yeah. It passes, yeah. If I come into the room and, room and see somebody that's like, no, everything's great and it's always great and it's always perfect and there's no... Bu- that Great, there's the shame voice mm-hmm. again telling me that I don't have that and mm-hmm. that's unrealistic for me. 100%. I'm obviously doing something wrong. Mm-hmm. It's I'm not just unrealistic. It's, it's dangerous. Very dangerous. It's a dangerous thing to say that everything's fine. Right? Very dangerous. Yeah. So that was a big, big eye-opening thing for me. That allowed me to be vulnerable. And it's funny because when I have those vulnerable moments, like it'll happen in the meetings or whatever, and then I'm immediately like, oh my God, I feel disgusting because mm-hmm. I've cried and I'm messy and I don't even know what I said and I got really honest and I got angry or I got whatever. I have 15 people after the meeting come up and be like, thank you so much. That was so incredible. And It's so, how is my head still this warped? Mm-hmm. How does it not grasp the fact that that is what is real, that people value what is real? And the second that I'm real, I'm, I'm right in that, oh my God, that was awful. Like, no, that was real. And that's, but that's the, that's the disease, the ego playing its tricks on us, right? To try to keep us sick because it wants us to not, well, first of all, we can't really see ourselves clearly, especially when we talk, right? Like, especially if we have difficulties with self-worth, like if we don't feel valuable enough, we don't necessarily believe what we say is going to be important, right? Like I definitely feel that. And so when people come up and say that stuff afterwards, the interesting part is, is that I don't want to hear it. Like, I don't want to hear that because go back to the pedestal thing, right? Is It scares it's me. It's very scary because I, yes. I learned early on a couple years in that I, you can't, I cannot pedestal people, right? Because people are fallible, just like me, right? And so once I realized it was just like me, I'm like, okay, that's much easier. Because <laughs> yeah. now people are just people, right? Yeah. They're, they're complicated. They're happy. They're sad. They're angry. They do things that are stupid, like, just like I do, right? Like, that's what people are, you know? Yeah. And regardless of whether we're sober or not, we're still going to make mistakes. We're going to make choices that people don't like, right? I'm going to make them every day. 100%. And that's how I learn. And if I'm telling you something, it's because I made a mistake and I Mm -hmm. learned that through pain. And, you know, that's the truth. I learn Mm -hmm. through chaos and pain and I share my experience with you Mm -hmm. and I just lay it on the table. That's it's messy, it's chaotic, that's who I am. I'm highly, highly emotional. And that's my truth. Mm -hmm. And I have had that before where I really felt a sponsee putting me on the pedestal Mm -hmm. and like, and whatever, you you know, I'm just gonna do whatever you tell me or or whatever. And guess what? As soon as they saw some of the, you know, the real, Mm -hmm. 
they got a new sponsor and, like, and that's okay. Yeah. That's totally okay. We needed to get new sponsors at different times. Yeah. yeah. Like I don't belong on a pedestal mm -hmm. at, at all. Please, please mm -hmm. don't. That's, there's nothing that scares me more. Yeah. I don't care if it's a relationship. I don't care what it is. Do not do that to me. That's yeah. so scary. I just told a young fellow the other day not to do it to me. I just said, man, like you can't, that's not me, man. I yeah. Said, that's not me. I said, that's part of what I do, who I, how I act and stuff. But I said, that's not me. I have yeah. darkness, man. Like there, this program isn't about being happy all the time. No. The fact that people actually say like, babe, you just seem so happy all the time. I'm like, man, like that's because I work hard to like get the other darkness out of the way. Right. Yeah. In that daytime. And I have to do it every day. I like, it's an everyday thing. Just like you, just like Darcy, like Don, if Don does practices every day, we do it every day and we become better at it. Yeah. Right? It's not like we're perfect though. Like my oh. favorite part of, uh, of how it works is the, we do spiritual progression. Like it's progression. It's not perfection. Right. Yeah. Like, and I think that that is one of the clearest ways to look at, um, being a human. It, it, humans aren't perfect. We are fallible from our birth, right? Like fallible in terms of how our biology works. We're fallible in terms of how our psychology works. Like there's just no human that's perfect. No. You know? And that's a dangerous thing for me, especially mm -hmm. because I struggle so much with the belief my whole life that people will see me and yeah. then they will leave. People will yeah. know me and then they will leave. And so that feels so dangerous and mm -hmm. so scary to me yeah. because, because any extreme, even if, it, if it's a good extreme or a bad, I can't handle extremes. Mm -hmm. That's good extremes mean that there's going to be a, an equal crash. Like I yeah. need to live in the balance. And I can't have you thinking that I'm all or mm -hmm. all wonderful or or putting me there. As nice as that sounds, I'm just me, mm -hmm. and I have the extremes to the other side as well. Yeah. And if I have those, and you are th you're thinking that I'm this mm -hmm. perfect person, then you really are going to see me, and then you probably are going to be like, whoa, mm -hmm. and that's going to feed that belief yeah. and that shame in me. And I just I got to be careful with that. Mm -hmm. I got to be careful because my ego too on that like as well, wants to soak up that and like, tell me more, tell me how great I am. You know, of course it's all about me. It's my cake. Don't you know? And it's, I'm mm. the center. Like, I have to do so much prayer and meditation to make sure that I'm in line with that stuff and understanding that that's disease. That mm. is a dangerous place to be. Yeah. I don't want to soak that stuff up. Mm. Keep it away from me. Yeah. I, we can't, I can't afford it either. Yeah. Nope. I totally understand that. No. Nope. What time are we at Darcy? What? Jiminy Christmas. That flew by. That's amazing. Is there more stuff you want to talk about? I, I, I really know. like for you to just tell, if there was something that you would tell to, to someone who's out there listening who maybe doesn't know what to do, like what would you tell them? I think coming into the rooms and coming in with all of these different tools, mm -hmm. because it's a textbook, right? We're given, for me, it, the program is the steps, it's the book. Mm -hmm. Plain and simple. Meetings aren't enough for me. Sponsorship's yep. not enough for me. It's it's that. That program is a combination triangle, right? Yep. So, yeah. And so if you identify or even think you identify, mm -hmm. then just do it. Yeah. That recovery is not for people that want it. It's not for mm -hmm. people that need it. It's for people that do it. Yeah. Get ahead of your head. Like I had to get ahead of my mm -hmm. head. That's all disease. Drop into my heart and basically keep doing the actions mm -hmm. before my head could catch up. Yeah until I got enough of a buffer in place. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. I think that's so helpful. And 
thank you for coming on, Bethany. Thank you so much. It's for so listening. nice getting to know you. You're amazing. Oh, That's so you. cool. Yeah. And yeah. Don, thanks for coming in. This is awesome. I'm sorry we didn't have a chance to introduce ourselves when you first walked in there. No worries. It's nice to see you. Nice to meet you. Mm-hmm. So you you uh, you're responsible for this one. Yeah. I'm not responsible. <laughs> That's fair. I do believe she's amazing, and I think this was an amazing avenue to share. Right on. Well said, Don. Yeah. Wow. Thanks for coming in to support her. That's really awesome. Of course. Thanks again. Thank you. Thank you for making it so comfortable and easy. Right on.